You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Claws, Bones, and Taylor Swift. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Sean Chandler, and you're listening to Your Program is Your Ticket. A discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. Today's guest is Evan Knighton of Candle House Collective. Evan is part of my new Theater is for Everyone series, where I'm interviewing theater artists outside of the major locales and influences to give them a chance to be heard, discuss their work selection and production processes, while touching on their triumphs, challenges, and misconceptions. Widely considered the pioneers of the remote immersive movement, Candle House Collective creates theater experiences that put audience members, often one at a time, at the heart of the story. Surreal, psychodramatic, and heartfelt, Candle House Collective's deeply interactive performances plunge audiences worldwide into high-agency encounters. I was fortunate enough to experience their most current production, Claws, in between recording Evan's interview and this introduction, and I gotta tell you, it was one of the coolest, most intense, immersive theatrical experiences I've ever encountered. It was me on the phone with a sensationally believable actor being completely pulled into this intense scenario. And more than once, I've gotten the creeps in the middle of the night over the final few moments of the experience. Keep in mind that our interviews are recorded at different times to optimize schedules, just in case the audio sounds different. I'm super excited, so let's bring them on. Hi, Evan, and welcome to Your Program Is Your Ticket. Hi there, how's it going? Going great. I'm so excited for this interview. Um, I am in really, really intrigued by this concept that you have, and um, I'm I, I get to participate in it pretty soon, and I just I I have a lot of questions, but I don't want to give too much away. So let's let's start with having instead of me talking so much, let's have you talk because I know that you're not going to give too much away, and I'll, and I'll and I'll be careful of that during the interview. I promise, I promise. So let's start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners. And telling us about Candle House Collective. Yeah, so uh, my name's Evan Nyden. Uh, I'm an immersive theater creator. I have been for a number of years now. And um, uh, and uh, in January of 2018, I created Candle House Collective. Uh, we're uh, we describe ourselves as an experimental theater company specializing in immersive theater. Um, and since 2018, we've been creating remote experiences, so remote interactive experiences for audiences, typically of one to, one at a time. Um, and it's sort of a form that we've really tried in, in, in its various um, incarnations, a form we've tried to sort of develop and perfect over, over, over the years. Um, and we're continuing to do that. Uh, we started out with a five month long alternate reality experience called uh, Last Candle ARX. It was five months for a group of participants Um and it was one story over the course of five months, not not something that ran for five months. It was one continuous story that they followed via phone calls, text messages, group forum, found footage, et cetera. Um, after that, we sort of explored, we started exploring more ticketed uh, pieces that uh, started out as three days and got shorter. And we landed on this short form um, format that uh, Claws falls into um clauses are are uh currently our longest running piece and it's something that we just established as our permanent first permanent installation um something that's going to be running for the foreseeable future with multiple performers um but overall what we're focused on is creating immersive theater interactive theater um that is is affecting and is is um truly interactive some, and can be accessed 
from anywhere, you know, that you don't have to be in New York or California or Chicago or London to see, um, that you have a, you know, with, with claws, for example, that you have a, um, a quality immersive horror experience in the palm of your hand. Wow. And I love that because that really fits in with the series that we're doing, which is a theater is for everyone. This is something that if you have a cell phone, now let's face it, who doesn't have a cell phone? I mean, my little, my five-year-old nephew has a cell phone. So it, of course we don't want a five-year-old nephew on a call like this, but um, if you have a cell phone, you can have this theater come to you. You can have this great, cool, kind of scary like suspenseful experience. Um, how did you come up with this concept? Did you, was it, was it you? Did a bunch of people get together? How did it, how did it start and how has it evolved? With that five month long alternate reality thing I mentioned, Candle House just started as me and my cell phone. That was, that was the beginning of it. And, and gradually other people got involved and other people um, uh, sort of became a part of the team, but it, it was just me at the beginning. And, it came from, you know, immersive theater as a, in general exists at the intersection of a lot of my interests, the things I grew up on, you know, uh, traditional folk storytelling, The Twilight Zone, the original Rod Sterling, um, uh, haunted houses, alternate reality games, all kind of interest, and then theater, of course, uh, all kind of intersected at this thing, uh, this thing, immersive theater, and and. Then in terms of phone calls, I've always loved audio dramas, you know, um, especially of the era of something like The Twilight Zone, you know, the audio dramas from the uh, 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, the um, conveying, as, and, po you know, podcasts uh, now are kind of our, our modern day radio dramas, but um, what they all, the the art of that is something I've always found fascinating that you can close your eyes, which is something that as theater goers, I feel like are relied upon a lot. Um, you can close your eyes and have this thing conjured in your head. And, and in a way it's a little closer to the experience of, you know, those radio dramas are a little closer to maybe the experience of reading a really good novel or something, because you, you're sort of, you're filling in the blanks in your head um, in a way that, and specifically the visuals. So you can create a visual in your head that really speaks to you with those sorts of things. And, and where, when that intersects with something like interactive theater, which makes you, which, you know, when, when done well, really pulls you in and, and makes you a part of the story. It allows you to completely toss your disbelief to the side and really, really invest yourself. It's, it's so cool. I love it. Um, it reminds me a, a lot of, and this is, this is what I can sort of like re relate to it with or from, um, about four, three or four years ago, I went to a show, a Broadway show. It was a one person show. I think it was called the experience. And it was about this guy who, um, it was, it was true. He wrote about something he did oh. when he went to like the Congo and had this like crazy trip and, and everyone listened to it on headphones. It was, the, Simon, the Simon McBurney piece, the encounter. Yes. I, I loved it. Oh yeah. my gosh. I, I just remember at one point I just stopped watching him. I just closed my eyes. And honestly, it was like it, my imagination once I closed my eyes, my eyes, my imagination just completely went wild with it. And um, I, that's kind of what it reminds me of. It's like, and sometimes our imaginations are way more frightening than what can appear in front of us or what we're thinking or what we're anticipating. Um, but that's, that's sort of what I thought of. That was one of my, my original like, oh, wow, that reminds me of that great play that I saw. I feel like sound is something we rely, you know, sight is, is a lot of people's first line of, of everything, not just defense, first line of, of sensory input. You know, we, we, most, most of us look at things first, but, and, and, and hearing is usually reserved for times when we can't see or when something's behind us, you know, it, it's reserved for things that are outside of our typical frame of awareness. Um, but take away the element of sight and, 
you know, and, and focus on, on hearing. And all of a sudden this thing that's used to just focusing on either, you know, threats or, um, kind of ASMR tingles, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, music, uh, you know, really strong physiological or emotional responses. Um, when that's what you're zeroing in on, I think the encounter is a great example. It, it can conjure really uniquely strong feelings, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's a little, like a little sample of claws on your website that I listened Mm -hmm. to. And I'm, I, I'm kind of a fraidy cat. I really am. And I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of like jump scares and things like that. And um, I think that, it, I think, our, like I just said, our imaginations are really what, what can like really amp up the experience. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, uh, just the waiting, the suspense that's, that's involved. And there's another thing I'm, I'm like, showing you all my research, like right off the bat, right up. I'm front loading you with research here. So um, have you ever heard of McKamey Manor? Yes. Okay. All right. So you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Okay. Now, now you're not a haunted house and that's, but, and this is like a crazy, wild, insane experience. It's nothing like what you have. I mean, yours is very controlled and, and you, you, I, I feel I feel like I'll be comfortable when I'm doing it. McKamey Manor. Um, the, the only reason why I brought it up is because this is it, it's a haunted house that was so crazy in California they had to move it to Tennessee, and um, this guy has put together this horrifying, like torturous kind of haunted house that you go through. But I remember him saying, like, you have to you have to get a physical. You have to be 21 and over. You you have to sign like a 20, 40 page, something like that, uh, release. And what he was saying was we make them wait all day long. And really that has done 90% of our job for us rather than just going directly in because they're, they're anticipating it and their mind and their imagination is like, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen before they even get in there. Now, do you feel like there's a, a little bit of, of that in the way that you're setting people up to for what they'll expect? Yeah, I, I can't really speak to any kind of comparison with, with you know, something like McKamey Manor. But, but um, the, the idea of anticipation in, in horror is, is absolutely a part of it. You know, in the, in the minutes and hours waiting for your phone to ring, waiting to see no caller ID pop up on the screen, which is a little unsettling in and of itself, um, you know, it's back to that thing of, of your mind kind of running away with itself without any visual input, you know, and in this case, without really any input, you're just the knowledge that this thing is coming, the knowledge that your phone is going to ring and you're going to be tipped head first into this sort of isolated and, and, and kind of thrilling scenario um, is, you know, we've had participants describe the waiting as, as, you know, just sitting there staring at their phone, waiting for it to ring, even though they know their experience isn't for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours. Um, so, yeah, I think the anticipation is a big part of it. But something we're, something I'm, I'm proud of Candle House a lot of the time, and, and especially with Claws, is that the anticipation is one thing and what you get is quite another. And we pride ourselves on, on, on not necessarily delivering exactly what it is you're scared of. We're going to give you something else to be scared of instead. Which makes me double scared by now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's actually very, very clever. Uh, so, so you kind of switch it up at one certain point throughout the experience, right? Yeah, well, whatever that looks like, I mean, whether it's a, um, I, I mean, I won't get into specifics, but but that takes a lot of different forms. The, the fact is, I think some of the anticipation just comes from, this is going to happen over a phone call. What in the name of God have I gotten myself into? What, you know, what, what, uh, what is this going to entail? And learning the rules of the world as and the, the, the rules of this form as you go, this sort of baptism by fire is part of it, not, you know, only, only having a very limited understanding of, uh, cause a lot of people seeing claws, a fair amount of people have not, 
even really experienced immersive theater before who were experiencing claws and thinking about, okay, this is, it is theater, but I have to be not only involved, but it sounds like I have to be a kind of critical part of it, but I'm not playing a role, but I I'm playing myself. I'm just being myself, but yet that's a critical part of the plot. It, it's, it, it creates a feedback loop. That's just that, that lets you sit in the anxiety until your phone rings. And then, and then we sort of teach you as, as, as we, as the piece goes along. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I received an email that has, I'm not going to say what they are, but it's like a, a list of things that you're supposed to do beforehand. And, um, I could just see myself like having my phone in my hand and like, like jumping a little bit as soon as it ring. Has anybody ever told you that they've done that? Like, oh, there, here it is. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, the anticipation of it uh, definitely. By the time the phone rings, you know, we've we've had people describe the feeling as they didn't realize they were holding their breath until they pick up the phone and speak for the first time, and then they realize, oh wow, okay, my face is turning red. I, I should probably, yeah, yeah, wow. That's great. I think it's, I think this is such a, a, a great, great project and, and really has rolled along at, I don't want to say an opportune time, but, but a good time when we, when we need different types of theater that aren't as, uh, you know, physically connected. Um, I'm, by physically, I mean people in the same room because, because of COVID-19 and, and that, um, I did a, a series called Act Two Places that were, I talk to a lot of theater companies, artistic directors, actors, um, and I, I asked them what they were doing to get through COVID-19. And a lot of people came up with some really, really, really clever, creative ways. I mean, like write, write in campaigns. And I mean, one, one particular uh, a company uh, would send out postcards written by writers that they hired and, they they'd get them returned with from the audience and it's it's kind of it's i'm still having a hard time putting it together but they would get them returned from the audience saying we want you to write this we want you to put this kind of character in and this all went through like the u.s mail there's people who had filmed a play and then they turned it into um, like a video experience so but this is what's cool about you guys is that you had this before COVID. You've been doing this for a long time. And, um, and that's, it's, I don't want to say fortuitous. It's, that just sounds so, so crass and, and coarse. Um, but it's a good time to have this kind of experience right now. Of course, anytime's a good time because, you know, you're a good theater company. So um, I, don't, I just wanted to say that. Do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> that might my, my uh my eight paragraph monologue there no i mean i i think in you know starting when we did it was something that wasn't really you know i think the response that people had was oh wow you know y'all came around in 2018 and then in 2020 the work you know remote work really became um kind of necessary to the and you know, I, I don't, I don't always know how I feel about that because I think for some people or some places, it, it, I don't know about necessary, but it was important or helpful before COVID, you know, I mean, cause not everyone is, is fortunate enough to be based in a place like New York that has, or, or, or California or Chicago, London, uh, you know, I could, the, the list goes on. It's not just those four places, but, um, not everyone is fortunate enough to be based in a major, artistic metropolitan area where there's art happening every single day all around you in every possible form you can think of. Um, and Candle House came about as, among other things, an attempt at a solution to that. Um, that there's this thing that, that you can experience from anywhere, you know, and, uh, all, and all you need is a, all you need is a phone. That's something that's always really appealed to me. So when COVID started and, and the 2020 quarantine happened. Um, it was, it just felt like a continuation of the work we were already doing. It's just that it was more 
critical to more people because all of a sudden everyone found themselves in that situation. Everyone found themselves in the situation of having to, uh, you know, nobody was in a, a major artistic area anymore because everything was shut down. So everything went remote, everything went online. And, and it was, you know, I, I know how challenging that was. And it was challenging for us too, but it was also really, um, it was really good and rewarding for us to already have this product that we could deliver to people, um, this, this theatrical experience that we could deliver to people, uh, knowing that it worked and knowing that um, already having a reputation. Outstanding. Now, to me, that that speaks a lot to you and your team. Um, I'm, I, I feel like you would need people who, if they're not technically writers, at least have some experience in writing. Um, and also you as a leader, um, I, I think writers have to be a bit, uh, they have to be a bit prophetic. They have to be able to to um, anticipate what's coming up in the future. Not that you knew COVID was coming up in the future. And that's, that was for doctors to know. Um, but unless you're a doctor and you knew, I don't know. I'm sorry. Anyways, um, I think that what you did is you said, I'm, there's something here. And um, there, there's a group of people here and here and here and here and here. And they need theater as well. And, um, you, you looked at that and you saw that niche and you, as a writer and a leader went ahead and, and created it and gave it to them long before a lot of these other people did. And I think that that's great. I think that you should, you and your team should, should uh, pat yourself on the back for that. That's, that's not, it's, it's not easy to do. And I'm not, I don't devalue anybody who does this, but it's not just, you know, okay, we're going to open up a theater ensemble and that's great, but it's different and it's risky and it's, it's risky at a time when it wasn't in demand as much. And that's, that speaks heavily to your character as a leader. So I'll just say that. Now tell us about Claws, the actual story, the storyline of it and, and what, what you can Claws is, it's a, it's a horror movie, you know, it's, it's, um, let me put it this way, uh, for, for anyone listening who has seen a horror movie, you know, saw Friday the 13th, it's, it's not really like a slasher film, but I, I bring that up just because it's one of the quintessential horror movies. But if you've ever seen a horror movie and found yourself yelling at the screen, uh, you know, seen a character walk past all the keep out signs and found yourself yelling, maybe don't do that. Maybe don't walk past the keep out signs and then they, and then something bad happens to them and you say, well, you shouldn't have walked past the keep out signs. Uh, you know, if you, if you watch those kind of films and, and, think, okay, they're making stupid decisions. Obviously I could do better. We invite you to try. And that's what clause is. It's, um, it is among other things, a chance to be a star in your, in, in a, in a horror film and, um, or a co-star in a horror film and we'll see how you do. <laughs> so you mean all those times when I'm watching Halloween, by Halloween, I mean Halloween from the seventies. Cause I recall right. seeing that. First off, um, and I'm screaming at Laurie Strode to turn on the light in the houses that she's in where she's walking around in the dark, then all that is karmically going to come back to me. And it's like, hey, hey, man, you think you could do it better? Put up or shut up. It may. I mean, it may not come back to you. You may be one of the people who could do it better. And, you know, clauses, clauses, among other things, a good litmus test for that. How how would you do in a horror movie? Come find out. Um how would you, uh, and, and, and it also, you have this character who, uh, you know, Danny, um, it, who's sort of the, um, the sole character in it is in a very tense situation. He's looking for whatever help he can get. And, um, honestly, one of the things that really makes the piece work, it's, it's designed to work pretty much across the board, but, it, you know, and, and, and do, and do what it needs to do. But one of the things that really, really make, brings it to the next level is, um, is when a participant comes with a degree of compassion 
you know, when they, when they stop trying to be something because the characters in a horror movie aren't trying to, you know, most of the time aren't trying to win the game unless it's saw and they're literally trying to win a game. Um, most of the time they are struggling with themselves, with, with each other. Um, you know, horror movies, good horror movies, a lot of the time are very personal and, Claws thrives off of that. The more of yourself, yourself you're willing to bring, the more you get out of it. Wow. Okay. Okay. I have to ask this. This is very stream of consciousness, but what is your favorite horror movie? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It just came to my mind. Oh gosh, um, that's really difficult. It's not a movie, but I, I know I keep bringing up the Twilight Zone. But to me, that's there will never be horror like that, like Rod Serling's Twilight Zone, because it's horror that isn't, you know, isn't immediately identifiable as horror. It's all these different situations where there's just something wrong or something slightly removed from reality for enough a way that we could completely write it off. Um, you know, I love Nightmare on Elm Street as much as, as much as the next person, but I have to acknowledge watching it. I'm like, all right, this is, this is, it's, it's kind of a, it's horror fantasy. What Twilight, what something like the Twilight Zone does so well is it doesn't let you think that it, it, really superimposes itself over your reality. A more recent equivalent, I'm not sure if it's the same thing, but a more recent equivalent that I love is Ari Aster's body of work, Hereditary and Midsummer, um, are both really good at taking these insane supernatural concepts and making them feel really uncomfortably material. Hmm. Yeah. Is is Tony Collette in one of those? Tony Collettson uh, is one of the leads in uh, Hereditary. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, now I I love her, and I'll try to see uh, everything that she's in. But I've read stuff about those two movies, and it just it kind of I don't know. I like I said, I'm a big Brady cat, so I'm I'm just a little concerned that I'll be watching it and I won't be able to sleep for the next. The you know I. I Believe it or not, I'm almost 60 years old and I still act like this. But but yeah, I've heard that they're 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 quite good as films and just like a freak out. Yeah, well, um, I mean, Midsummer is, I think, brilliant because it's, you know, Ari Aster said, I'm gonna make a horror movie in broad daylight, and you're gonna be more scared than you are in 90, 90% of other horror movies. Wow. Midsummer is more kind of a traditional horror film, but it does what it does really well and really uniquely. And Toni Collette is a, is a huge part of that. I mean, watching her act in anything is wonderful, but especially in that is, is she's so disturbing. And the, the, the disturbing part of it is she's playing a very real, they're all playing very real people, but her character is someone you feel like, you know, her. And that's that's the really concerning part is, is is nothing about the dialogue is ever that affected. It all feels very natural in a really uncomfortable way, you know? Wow. And, and you know, and someone like her, every time I've seen her in something, it's generally very different from the previous thing I've seen her in. So I, I am always confident that she's going to give a great performance. I've loved her since since Muriel's wedding. So because of Tony Collette and because of your excellent review, I will go back and I, I'll watch at least one. I'll watch the one with Tony Collette. Now that's Mid Midsummer, Hereditary, Hereditary. Okay, yeah, okay. I'm I'm writing it down just so I don't because again I'm I'm almost sixty so I forget things sometimes. But um, yeah, she's she's terrific and um, it, I, I agree with you on Twilight Zone. I mean Twilight Zone, they're so smart because. I often say that people who I think I've said this a couple of times in the last few shows, but the best filmmakers, the best dramatists are the one who, ones who create 
um, a psychology in your mind while you're watching the film and you don't necessarily know what's happening. The best way I can describe it is, um, and I sort of realized it too, was in the movie Slumdog Millionaire. I remember watching that movie. I saw it at the at the uh, theater too. And I just remember thinking any one of those characters could be in danger at any point during that film. They could be killed. They could fall off of a giant unbuilt high-rise building that they were working on. They could get hit by a train. They had me wondering. And that's, that's to me, is really smart, obviously, Academy Award-winning direction. Um, but I think that the Twilight Zone did that great because they'd have us up until, like, the last 30 seconds of the show. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, just – just genius. A friend of mine puts the, put you know, describes the Twilight Zone. There are certain episodes that really have a, especially the earlier episodes tend to kind of have a morality skew, you know, between the gambling ones and the, you know, the, the toy maker and the devil and, and, and things like that. You know, though, those I think were more morality plays, but as it moved on, a friend of mine describes the later seasons as each episode basically says, Hey, here's the situation. Would that be fucked up or what? <laughs> And there's no real resolution to a good portion of them. It just gives you a situation and and makes you sit with it during and after. And it's really hard to get those to get those out of your head. It's you know some of them are kind of earworms and they stick around, and some of them stick around for me even now. And and um, it's that that's one of the things I love about it. I, I feel like horror doesn't have to fit any of what we what we typically define it as you know either jump scares or or high octane material or um gore or even the things we define these days as psychological horror you know twilight zone was rarely what we can would consider now horror but it's still it's still more unsettling than a lot of horror movies i've seen oh absolutely okay you know what my next question is going to be right mm-hmm What's your favorite episode of Twilight Zone? I don't, I'm going to, I do not have a good answer for that question. Really? No, I, you know what? I like, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting the title. You, the, 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 the senior citizens becoming children. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Uh, no, actually I lied. I lied. The good. Cause that, I don't, I didn't know that episode. <laughs> The man who all he wants to do is read. All he wants oh, to do is yeah. read, and um, and the sort of nuclear apocalypse happens, and he's in the he's in a safe under the library or a vault under the library when it when it all happens. I think it's under the library, and then he and and, and you know his wife hates him for reading, and 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 everybody kind of is mad at this guy for letting the world pass him by. But all he wants to do is sit there and read, and he finally gets to do that. You know, everyone else is gone and he's just here with in this library of books and he just gets to read and he trips and breaks his glasses, his reading glasses wow. at the end of the episode. And yeah, it's so, you know, that's, that's definitely one of my favorites. Wow. That's, you know, I'm, I'm a little more like, I, I have two favorites. Of course, I love talking Tina. Talking Tina is great. Um, with, um, isn't it Vic Tabak or no, it's Telly Savalas who plays the man who's trying to kill this doll. And it's, it's, it doesn't work. <laughs> if anything, it works against him. And then there's this other episode where these kids have these horrendous parents that are always screaming at them and they dive into a pool and they come up in a pond somewhere else. And they meet this like old, like little old aunt who bakes cakes and has, her hair and buns and this lady, this old aunt basically keeps these kids from these horrible parents. So I think those are my two favorites, but I bet you anything, if we both sat there for like a um, couple minutes, we'd go, oh, well, what about this one and this one and this one? And so listing the entire, the, right? entire season, <laughs> the whole you know, catalog, the series, right? Because they're all there. There were very few misses on that show. If any, if any on the original Oh yeah, I, I totally agree. There's I can always get something out of an yeah. episode. So uh, the, 
also just you know before, before the very first episode ever um the 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 town the, the and it turns out to be all the military thing but the town that's still there's still signs of everybody having just been there but the entire town is empty and it's this one guy trying to find someone in it it, it was the very first episode it, that one was was the perfect setup for what the entire series was going to be because again it was never necessarily scary but by the end of it you were kind of having this this sort of floor fall out of your heart because just watching him try and find someone and thinking what if that were me you know that's a, that's a nightmare i've had waking up and 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 the rest of the world is empty you know it it's a it's a really unsettling concept i'll stop talking about twilight zone now but i'm trying to remember which one it was but i'll look it up i'll look it Mm -hmm. up on wikipedia or i don't know whatever trivia page they have for twilight zone which i'm sure that there are millions of them but uh yeah i'm I'm blanking on that one i know that there's been a couple where somebody wakes up and the whole town is either gone or everything's weird or they're not part of it and the floor fell out of your heart by the way is a great, great, great name for an album. Just so you know, in case you ever want to cut an album, you can call it Floor Fell Out of Your Heart. And then, sorry, I'm just being silly. Don't pay any attention it, to me. I'm sure, you know, if, if on the off chance Taylor Swift is listening, there you go. There's your next one. Yeah. Oh my God. Like, like she needs more song ideas and more money. <laughs> Don't put yeah, that she's in her fire. She's fine. <laughs> Yeah, and Taylor, just so you know, Taylor Swift is not listening to me. But you know, <laughs> I listen to her a lot. I think she could return the favor. Return the favor, right, yeah. Right, I mean, come on. She, she can listen to my podcast, and she could book a show with you, damn it. <laughs> oh, Tay-Tay, what are we going to do with you? Um, and let's talk about your production process once you've, like, created the story, uh, written the scripts and outlines. Is, is it a, a script, or is it an outline, and then followed or how does that happen? And then what happens after that? It really, it really depends on, on the piece. I mean, I'll get into clause specifically in a second, but the scripts have looked really different depending on what the piece is and what it calls for, you know, I mean, and a lot, you know, varying levels of specificity because sometimes you have something that's a very linear story. Like there was a piece we did called good morning uh, that actually, um, do you know, William Newman's bill Newman's? I do. I've interviewed him. Yeah, he he was in Good Morning when we did it. Um, he he played uh, the. It, it was um, it was he was sensational, like he is in everything. But um, it was this eighty-minute telephone piece for a single audience member, um, and it was a an episode of a radio show for this little fictional town in Ohio called Jubilee. The um, this this little morning show and. What starts out is this idyllic picture of this um, beautiful little, you know, picturesque little Midwestern town slowly disintegrates into something altogether else. And um, th- that piece, because it was a radio show, was very largely scripted um, with with moments that were not as another, whereas something like Claws is less scripted because, um, you know, it there's so many different directions it can go. And there are parts of it that, um, uh, that are kind of, uh, not necessarily scripted, but, but prepped in a certain way. But honestly, it, to be real with you, the, the moment a participant gets on the phone, it all flies out the window anyway, because, um, they, they are such a huge part of the experience, you know, and, and, and what they say and contribute and how much they say and contribute really informs what happens in the piece. So if they say and contribute nothing, there is still a foundation. There's still a, there's still a show to experience. Um, you know, and, and even the minimum that is that is still, I think, plenty fun. Um, but the more you contribute, like I said, the more you bring of yourself, um, the more the piece is going to turn into something that no one's ever going to experience but you. Hmm. <laughs> okay. See, you're building up that suspense. You're creating that that psychology in my head. And so it's just building and building. And I'm just, 
I'm going to be a mess before February 4th and probably on February 4th. So prepare <laughs> for that. By the way, if anybody's interested, um, I don't know the number, but I interviewed Bill Yeomans for a uh, an, an episode on a play that he acted in called The War Party. So you can go back and listen to him on that. And I think, I want to say that I think I saw him on, I went over the weekend to see To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. And I, I think he's in that. Well, it's I, I believe so. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah, yeah I was like, I, I, I know this guy. He's, he's, I interviewed him. Very, of, very nice. One of my favorite voices on an actor is Bill Humans. It, it, uh, there's nothing like it. I'm, I'm, I'm big. I'm a big fan. Yeah, and he's, he played uh, Doctor Dilliman in Wicked for a long time, a long time. He's, he's one of the longer Doctor Dillimans. But yeah, he works a lot. He works a lot. I could see why too. Yeah, very, very yeah. good. Excellent. Um, by the way, that production that, that I saw of Kill a Mockingbird was great. Filled with understudies, including like, I think Bill filling in for someone else. And we saw the understudy for Greg Kinnear and it was great. Just FYI, everyone, that's a great, great show. Even if you're not seeing, you know, the star that they put in there. So just, just a little sidebar there. What are some of the misconceptions of immersive theater? What are you constantly having to explain about the concept, if at all? Something you always have to clear up all the time. I mean, I'll start with our form in particular. You know, the the, the biggest hurdle the first couple of years, really before COVID rolled around, was explaining what telephonic theater, remote theater actually was, because it wasn't really a thing yet. Um, right. Explaining that we did pieces over the phone, the amount of the amount of people I had kind of look at me sideways and say, "So phone sex?" And <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and I had to, and that that's still something I find myself explaining because even though the there's been such a huge kind of advent of remote theater, virtual theater, um, distance theater, the idea of theater over a phone call is still, I think, a little novel or confusing to people. And especially because I think there's a lot of telephone theater out there, like, uh, you know, 600 highwaymen doing a thousand ways where it's, it's more of a, an interview type thing. It's, it's, it's more of a facilitated conversation between you and another audience member. And that's, I think, easier to explain than, you know, you're, you're on the phone and it's a theatrical, it's a, it's a, uh, theatrical piece with a character that you're engaging with. Um, you know, there, there's, there's, but yet you're playing yourself. You're not, you're not playing a character. Uh, you're just being yourself. It, it is a bit more difficult to explain. And then with immersive theater in general, you know, I mean, the, the, the challenge is always really honestly, one of the most challenging um, demographics of people to explain immersive theater to are theater lovers, you know, traditional theater lovers absolutely not not all the time but i found that uh, you know in 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 75 percent of my experience that's been the case not because they're not willing to hear it they really want to and they really want to understand it it's just a matter of the more i think of a cemented idea you have of what theater is it's it's a mold that gets harder and harder to break um and you know, there are experimental festivals out there that are doing that work as well. Um, but even then, you know, immersive theater is, 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 is a whole neighborhood away from even that. Mm -hmm. And it's something that requires a lot of the time requires a basic rearrangement of one's definition of theater. Because there's so much different kind of, there's so many different kinds of, of, of immersive entertainment out there. And very little of it conforms to what is to be expected from sitting in a seat and watching a proscenium show. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, do you ever make comparisons? Um, uh, I, I would consider uh, immersive theater something like, um, uh, like, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, I think it was called Tamara or Tamara. It was a show that was in Los Angeles because mm -hmm. I lived, my husband, David and I lived in Los Angeles up until five or six years ago. And I had a friend who was in this and you go from room to room to room. It's, it's um, now called, uh, there's a, there's a, uh, another production. It's at the McKittrick hotel. Sleep no more. 
Sleep No More. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Um, where you go and you sort of drop in on all of these situations. Is that, would you say that that's immersive theater like yours or it's a different type of immersive theater? It is absolutely a different type, but it, I mean, immersive is a, is a big, big, big term. Um, pieces like Tamara and, um, I mean, Tamara really is, is in my opinion, where it all came from, really, in terms of immersive theater. I mean, Sleep No More is largely considered the grandfather of the industry as we know it today, but that wouldn't have existed without Tamara. Um, and and Tamara, I, I wouldn't call that immersive. I would call it more site-specific or uh, site-evocative um, is a term I've heard used, but you know, it paved the way for something like Sleep No More, which does have interactive elements, which has, um, you know, truly a sandbox functionality where you can go wherever you want. You can touch things. You can eat the candy from out of the candy shop. It, um, It is absolutely immersive theater, but what we do is very different because Sleep No More is fundamentally environment forward. And I think a lot of the stuff that Punch Drunk, the company that created it, does is environment forward. You know, they they build these incredibly detailed word worlds. And then aside from that, they're sort of a dance company. Um, so those two things combined create this surreal, often kind of dark, uh, you know, um, high art Disney world type thing for you to get tossed into and wander around. But you're more of a fly on the wall in those kinds of pieces. In something like Claws, the opposite is true. You are at the dead center of the story, and every action you take is going to affect the world around you. It's not, and and it's not resetting regardless of what you do. It, it, it is there dependent on what you do. We're there for you. We're there with you. You know, it's one. It's it's one on one to do that, to create something for you, around you, with you, that you get, that you can kind of hang on to for a really long time. Now, do you rehearse the team towards that end? Yeah. Yes. Uh, we, uh, the, the emphasis in preparing this kind of work is knowing that there is no preparing this kind of work. It's, uh, you know, we, we can, we can create, one of our, one of our big you know our 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 big tenets of um, uh, safety and character and and environment you know those th- that's that's all building that we do and a lot of the rehearsal process is just building um, and and even with each actor for clause each actor each version each actor playing Danny has a different take on the role in the world and and that gets developed through a shared kind of devising informed process but in terms of just performing it baptism by fire is the only way you know it you you you're never going to fully understand this work until you do it yourself um and and that's something that's really that sounds you know intimidating but i think is is ultimately really valuable because it allows for a degree of freedom on the actor's part uh it allows them to really really make the role their own are you willing to tell me how you audition people for this? Or is that something that needs to be like, you have to spring it on them just to see if they can respond I, the way you need to. What I can say is that, uh, is what we look for. Um, and actually we're, we're currently casting as of the recording of this podcast, we're casting more, uh, performers for clause. Um, so, you know, uh, but so I'll, I'll, I'll send you the link for that. But uh, one of the thing we really, really look for is adaptability and a willingness to play. Um, mixed, of course, with a desire to, in, in a case like Claws, you know, it's a horror film. And to make a horror film, you do have to have that drive to spook people, uh, at least a little bit. Um, you know, that's why people act in, in immersive horror, haunted houses, that kind of thing. And And that combined with a an adaptability that that can come from people with improv experience really tends to come from people with TTRPG experience, like Dungeons and Dragons, Dungeon Masters, that kind of thing. You know, people who what are... TTR, what is TTR... Dungeons and Dragons is a tabletop role-playing game, TTRPG. Oh. I think that's the acronym for it. Uh, oh, somebody might yeah. yell at me in your, in your comments but for that. But um, the... That's that's something we look for a lot is can you make this your own? 
You know, do mm-hmm. you, do you have enough of a sense in this specific way of who you are as a performer um, and who you are when we take the visual away? Because that's something that trips a lot of people up. A lot of actors up is taking the visual away because so many people are so talented with their, with their faces uh, and have such expressive and dynamic faces. And then you say, great, we're not going to be looking at that. Like, we don't, we don't care what, what your face looks like. We don't care what you look like. Um, we just care how you sound. And that is a challenge that is also, you know, can also be very difficult to rise to, but the people who do, um, do this work. And it's, it's why I think we have, you know, uh, we have a particularly excellent ensemble as an immersive company because we look for people who have creative identities in a, in such a way that they feel comfortable manipulating the work that they're given and and really really bending it and, and breaking it around to make it their own. That takes a lot of confidence, yeah, to, to do that because you're taking, you know, something you've been working on for a long time and then manipulating it, and um, um, that also takes a lot of confidence in and security and you as a writer, because I know when I write something, I'm not crazy about people like doing it, not the way I wrote it. <laughs> but then again, that's, that's part of the, the system, right? They have to be able to do that. Yeah. Wow. So, well, you know, because the person, I mean, the, the main, the person coming in, their scene partner has no script. Their scene partner has no, has no, I mean, you know what the preparation looks like for this piece. It's really not that much. Um, but you know, you have to be able to adapt around and really kind of find a way to love every different kind of participant. Uh, you know, that that's really important. That's really important. Uh, universal compassion, even in a horror piece, especially in a horror piece like Claws. You know, horror, the 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 most unsettling horror i think comes from a place of kindness or compassion you know that feeling of it's this sort of it's this sort of feeling i i that uh, that that same friend of mine who i was talking about earlier describes as um you know being being in a hospital with a chronic or like a terminal illness and the nurses around you hoping you'll get better and knowing you probably won't that's not necessarily the energy of the claws but there's a certain intimacy and fundamental um, gentleness, sadness to that, that I think uh, is a good example of, of um, what I'm talking about when it, when it comes to compassion in horror. Wow. Uh, I wouldn't have thought of that theory. I wouldn't have. I, I don't know if I necessarily would have understood that, that dynamic um, but that could could feel well. I guess yeah. I mean, it's it's well, death is the inevitable. Well, I guess it's part of the inevitable. So when these people are hinting towards that, there is something going on inside of you that is scary, even if it's just you looking into a mirror of what you're going to be soon mm-hmm. enough. Yeah. Is that is that did I did I get that right? Well, I, you know, fear of death is, I think, just is a combination of two things. It's fear of impermanence and fear of the unknown. And Claws exploits both of those. It, um, you know, in a, it, obviously fear of the unknown. We, we talked about that earlier. And yeah. the impermanence thing I'm not going to expand upon because I, I, you have yet to do the piece. So afterward, you can, you can let me know if, if you saw what I was talking about. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm going to write down it. Fear of impermanence. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 
by the way, I have another note here. 600 Highwaymen Doing a Thousand Ways is a great first single for your heart fell out. Wait, you fell out of my heart or out of the bottom. What did you say before? (laughs) Your, I can't read my own writing. Tell me, tell me that phrase again. You Uh, fell out of the bottom of my heart. Floor, floor fell out of my heart or something. The floor fell out of my heart. Okay. You know, we're just, we're just handing these hit singles to her, aren't we? A little bit, a little bit. Okay. it's, It's, it's either her or Benny Goodman. One of the, yeah. <laughs> wow, that was, I would have, I don't think I would have ever thought to put those two in the same camp, but oh, very, see, this is why you're the genius that you are. Taylor Swift, <laughs> Benny Goodman, you, you've teamed them up to do something. What? I don't know. Cut the album. I, geez, this is why you're going to be a billionaire and, and I've been it. <laughs> And I'm going to, uh, maybe I'll create a TTRPG, TTRPG, tabletop role-playing game. Maybe I could do that. No, I couldn't do that. I'm not that smart. That's something you can do. That's just like a side hustle for you, right? I, yeah. I'm, I am sure there is a there is a theater kid out there that's created a theater, like a theater equivalent of Dungeons & Dragons. I'm sure that exists. I'm sure it <laughs> Like a Broadway equivalent, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, they already okay. made Broadway Monopoly, right? So Dungeons and Dragons, yes, right? Yeah, yeah. That was a, a a Ken Davenport thing, from what I understand. He's I saw him on the news on the morning news, and he's like selling this Broadway Monopoly. And I thought, well, he's that guy is he's smart, Ken, Ken Davenport. I've been into some of his seminars, and he's the smart guy. Um. If you could have three wishes for the development of Candle House Collective, what would they be? Boy, um, I, <laughs> I wish number one would be for, and I, I didn't, I never imagined I'd be saying this a year or two years ago. Wish number one would be for Claws to kind of go quote mainstream a little bit, for Claws to be something that people know independently almost of candle house that um it's that be, that becomes this thing that just exists in the fabric of the theater community that people do and maybe even come back to you know uh kind of kind of a sleep no more t- or a, a you know then she felt type thing um just a, a mainstay in the immersive community and hopefully later on in the theater community um among other things you know i because i think of all the pieces that I've created, Claws has the has is among those with the most universal appeal because almost everyone likes horror, and even people who don't like horror like horror. You know, the other the nice thing about Claws also is we've had people come who were not horror fans in the slightest and were kind of just badgered by their friends to do it and came out saying, "I hate horror and I really like this," um, because, like I said at the beginning we pride ourselves on never quite giving you what you expect and giving you something else instead. Um, so that, that would be wish number one for sure would be for Claws to gain a place in, in the, in the community, um, in the, in the theater community at large and the arts community at large, maybe. Uh, wish number two has to do a lot with, um, you know, and this is this is maybe not excellently timed, but the potential of transitioning to in-person work. You know, I've I, I have a whole backlog of concepts ready to go for that, and you know, because I think a lot of the logic that's applied to this kind of thing, a lot of you know, a lot of the idea of, of you know phone call theater being accessible anywhere, immersive theater lends itself to that too. You can it, it allows you to create theater in places where there are no like no theaters or very little theaters. It, it, it allows you to create it in any space inside, outside. And this sort of guerrilla approach that we started with, with the remote thing is absolutely something I'd love to carry over into in-person because it, you know, it's a way to, it's a way to turn to contribute to turning theater or, or expanding the definition of theater, you know, 
that you don't, you don't, not only do you not have to be in a theater for it, you don't have to necessarily be in a dedicated space for it. There doesn't, a set is optional. Um, the, because, because everything is a, everything, any, anything can be a set as long as you do the work and craft the piece to make it that way. You know, this is not easy work to create, but um, a big wish of mine is to bring, you know, bring the, that same psychology of guerrilla theater and and one-on-one immediacy and intimacy into an in-person context, uh, which, you know, is not unheard of, but it's something that I, I, I want to do even more of because I love this kind of work. And then my last wish, honestly, is just... Um, community. You know, I, I, I made Candle House as a, as a, an attempt to create a community. And, um, that's something that's slowly appearing both inside our, our team and outside. Uh, it's something that it, it's an idea that I love having, having a sort of artistic uh, force, which in this case would be, uh, Candle House and the shows that we've put forth, at the epicenter of a larger community of people existing both among and independently of the work, um, being, being united by a certain set of creative ideals or, um, sort of sources of inspiration and, you know, talking about the work and maybe creating work of their own. And, And it's just, there's, I can't, I, I, I could, describe it forever, but the general idea is, is just creating a, creating a community around something that can reach anyone. Um, I got the phrase theater is for everyone. When I interviewed, um, a, a couple of artists in Alabama who have a theater, very small theater out there. It's where my sister lives in uh, Daphne Fairhope, Alabama, which is a great name for a soap opera diva. I'm just saying, but, um, I was out there and I was going to watch their production of 25th annual Putnam County spelling bee. And, um, she, when I finished up the interview, the, the lady, her name is Robin Cohen. Uh, it's like, is there anything else that you want to say? And she, she looked at me and she said, like, right at me. And she pointed at me. She said, I want to say this, and I want you to hear it. Theater is for everyone. It's for everyone to create. It's for everyone to produce. It's for everyone to conceptualize. It's for everyone to direct, to act in, to write. What's going on in New York City is a teeny, itty-bitty, teeny, tiny fraction of theater. All over the world, people are doing different, incredible forms of theater, and we don't want to cut that off at the knees just because we're, we, we only think one way. And I just remember thinking like, Oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. And, and I think that you really just emphasize that you've said, I'm going to do something and I'm going to do something different and I'm going to involve other people and maybe people who don't necessarily involve themselves completely in theater. And that's because theater is for everyone. So I, I just, I think it's great. I think um, what you guys are doing is really cool and fun. And it sounds like it's, it's also edifying when I, when I make it, if I make it to the end of my call, because <laughs> again, I'm a big Frady cat, but um, I just, I just think it's, I think it's wonderful. Now, before we go, please give our audience your social media information so they can keep up with you and your company. So we are on Instagram at Candlehouse Collective and at Claws.chc. Candlehouse Collective follow for um, our work on mass. So any anything we're doing, and then Claws.chc is for Claws specifically. It's it's updates pertaining to that specific production. Um, it's it's where we post uh, all of these sort of little extras and and um, uh, appearances that we do. And it, it's also a good place to hear about. Um, 
newly released tickets. Speaking of newly released tickets, our website, candlehousecollective.com, is the best place, the, the, the best place to find out about new tickets. If you go to our ticketing page, candlehousecollective.com slash tickets slash clause, uh, you can sign up for our wait list, which is currently at the top of the page because Claws currently is sold out. But uh, tickets go on sale on the 11th of every month for the following month. So sign up for the wait list and you'll be the very first to know when they do go on sale. Very cool. That's awesome. I, I like to actually, when I go see a show of somebody that I interview, I actually like to buy a ticket. I feel like, well, you know, they're they're doing my show, so I should support them. And I couldn't. I had to take a comp. I did. And you were very, very nice to give me a comp, but in next show, I'll make sure that I'm on top of it. And I'll buy two tickets for that. (laughs) And I'll gift, I'll gift the second ticket to someone else. Promise. Promise. You can, you can gift them. We have a a mechanism for that. So go for it. Wow. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Um, Evan, this has been such a great, great interview. I had a great time talking to you. It's, it's it's neat. It's different. It's theater, um, and I I know it's got to be like a lot of work, and it was a lot of work to set it up. But you're doing something that's just so specific and so uh, just so interesting. And um, I, I just I just wish you like many broken legs in with claws and with any of your future productions. And I just know that you're that you know. There's there's no ceiling for you, really. You're you're what you're doing. Mad respect, mad props, and respect, as the kids say. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Again, Evan, thank you for being on the show. Um, we appreciate you being on your program. Is your ticket? Well, folks, the eleven o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken, so it's time to lower the curtain. Once again, a big thanks to Evan Nyden of Candle House Collective. He was awesome. Get your tickets for this completely unique theatrical experience. Quick shout out of props to Joel Myers, the incredible actor from the Performance of Claws, which I attended. You can find more episodes of your program is your ticket on the Broadway Podcast Network, who has honored me with a place on their incredible theater podcast platform. Broadway Podcast Network is all about creating an engaging, immersive, user-friendly experience where theater stories of all kinds can be easily found, shared, and enjoyed. Please visit them on my landing page at vpn.fm slash ypiyt. That's vpn.fm slash ypiyt. Your program is your ticket is also on Facebook at facebook.com. Your program is your ticket. I'm on Twitter at at program ticket. Instagram at your program is your ticket. YouTube at your program is your ticket. iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Pocket Casts, Deezer, TuneIn, Listen Notes, and the UK-based theater platform Thespy. FYI, I appreciate all good ratings, reviews, and subscriptions. Folks, take a little time to visit theater websites and see what they have to offer. Watch their content, give them all great ratings and reviews, and most importantly, donate, donate, donate. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And remember, theater is for everyone. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.